So take your Bible this morning, if you have your Bibles, and let's turn to John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. One verse this morning will be our text, and then we'll, we'll jump around and see what we can learn this morning. But our text is found in verse number 17. It's a short verse, and it says this, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Let's read that again. John 13, verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now a little bit of background on this. The Lord Jesus Christ had just finished washing the feet of his disciples. And just a few hours he'd be going through an unimaginable ordeal. He would be falsely arrested. He would be put through a mock trial. He would be publicly humiliated. He would be tortured. And then he would be crucified. And in this passage right here, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ knew every detail of everything that was about to happen to him. And yet, he is spending his final moments with the disciples that he loved, and he's teaching them the true meaning of happiness. You put yourself in that situation knowing all the things that are about to happen to you, all the abuse, it would be difficult to talk about happiness. And yet that's what the Lord did. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So the question this morning is, what are these things? What are these things that the disciples needed to know? And what are the things that they needed to do in order to be happy? And I think it's important this morning... Uh, that we discover these truths. So the title for the the title for the message this morning is "Have a Happy New Year." And our text obviously is found here. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we open up your Word, Lord, we pray that you might speak to our hearts, and Lord, we pray that you might use your Word to minister to us. Lord, we truly do want to have a happy new year, but we want to have the kind of happiness that you want us to have. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you might reveal some things to us that will help us for this day and for this year. And, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit might be evident in everything that we do, and we pray that you get the glory and the honor for everything that's done and said today. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So today is the uh, first Sunday of the new year. January 2nd, 2022. Can you say Happy New Year? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, how many times has someone said that to you in the last few days? I, I heard it two or three times as I came in this morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, I wonder what people are thinking when they say that. You know, I think a lot of people, when they say Happy New Year, they're not really thinking. I think they just say it because it's a greeting that we do around here. The new year comes and we just say, Happy New Year. Um, I, probably, I think probably people don't think much at all. But the truth of the matter is, most people really don't care if you have a Happy New Year or not. Yeah. Most people are only thinking about themselves, yep. if the truth were told. Uh, if the truth were told, they're probably thinking this. I hope I have a Happy New Year. 
I hope you have a happy new year too. However, if you don't, that's really not my problem. I think that's what most people, what they should really say is this. I hope you have a happy new year, but if you don't, too bad. I don't have time to worry about your problems because I have to worry about my own problems. So happy new year to me. That's probably what people ought to be saying. Now, uh, our church here is in Orange County and Orange County is the home to the happiest place on earth. You ever heard of it? Yeah. I think it's right around the corner. Um, when, uh, when, when, when I uh, moved here, when our family moved here back in 1994, we were brand new to Southern California. We had moved here from Texas. And uh, one of the first things on our agenda was to go visit the happiest place on earth. That was a discussion. My, my children at the time were just little kids. And uh, that's all they could think about. Let's, let's go to Disneyland. Daddy, let's go to Disneyland. So uh, we made our plans and uh, got together and decided we'd drive out to Disneyland, my wife and my two kids. Well, uh, as a parent, it didn't take long before I started wondering why this is the happiest place on earth. Uh, actually, the thoughts came to me in the parking lot. As we pulled up in the parking lot, I saw the line, and I said, good grief, how long is this line? And uh, you get to the, the, the place where you pay the tickets, and I said, how much is a ticket just to park? And I said, oh, good grief. That's when it all started, the happiest place on earth. <laughs> so get to the parking lot, we park the car, we get out, we have to make our way uh, to the entrance, and of course, we gotta go pay for our tickets, and uh, we get in line, and, and uh, Say, yeah, I'd like four tickets. How much is four tickets? And when they told me, I, I thought, oh my goodness. And so I went to the Disneyland Credit Union to apply for a loan so I could pay for the tickets just to get in. So uh, we get in the park and uh, the kids say, Daddy, let, let's go for a ride. I said, okay, let's go for a ride. Let's go find an attraction. So we got to the attraction, we got in line and there was this long line and I thought, oh man, how long is this line? And I said, oh, good grief, this is gonna be five hours. Let's see, five hours, we're gonna only be able to see two attractions. That's like $50 an attraction. I don't know if this is worth it. This is the happiest place on earth, though. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we go on the ride, we get done with the ride, and the kids say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Can we get something to drink? Okay, let's go get something to drink. So we go find the concession stand, Preach. and uh, that's not very good preaching. <laughs> We find the concession stand, and I say, you know, I like a Coke. And they said, oh, Daddy, we want a Coke. We want it in one of those glasses that have some mouse ears on it. Oh, oh, you do. How much is one of those uh, drinks with mouse ears on it? Oh, my goodness, half a day's wages? I'm sorry, kids. We're going to be drinking. We're going to be drinking lukewarm water from the public fountain. I don't think we'll be having a Coke today. And you get the idea. You know, as you go through, you, you know, you go all the rides, and you listen to it's a small world after all and it's really not that small it's really a big world but the kids are happy we're having a good time it was fun gay we're all happy they're not paying the bill but we're all happy and so we spend the day and it comes time to go home and so we walk 10 miles back to the car and we get in the car and as we're driving home we talk about how fun it was and how beautiful the park was and all the happy things that we did. And so we finally make it to home. Everybody's tired and we, we go crash and we go to bed. Well, we wake up the next morning and I discovered that the kids weren't quite as happy as they were the day before. Somehow the happiness had begun to wore out. 
It had begun to fade. And so it made me wonder, well, is, if this is the happiest place on earth, then I think we have some troubles. If this is the happiest place on earth, uh, our, our world has a lot of problems. You know, here's the thing. Now we have to go find another place to be happy. So we have to go in search of the second happiest place on earth. And that's kind of an endless cycle. Always in search of the next happy thing, the next happy event. You know, in our Declaration of Independence, there's a phrase that says, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's supposed to be a fundamental right. According to this famous doctrine or the document, as American citizens, we have the right to freely pursue joy and live a life that makes us happy as long as we don't do anything illegal or violate the rights of others. So that kind of defines our culture today. I am going to do the things in my life that make me happy. And I'm going to live my life in pursuit of all of the things that make me feel good and make me happy. And of course, going along with that, I have to make as much money as I can so that I can enjoy all of these happy things in life. But you're going to find out that if you live your life that way, you're going to find out that happiness is a fleeting thing. Uh, you're going to discover that happiness is like a great big old cone of cotton candy. It's big and it's beautiful and it's exciting, but when you put it in your mouth, it lasts about one second. And then your happiness fades away. Now, in our text this morning, John chapter 13, keep your Bibles open to John chapter 13. You notice it says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So our Lord is telling us that there are some things that if we know and some things that we do, we're going to be happy. Now, fortunately, the, the word happy is a Bible word. The word happy is in the Bible 28 times. But this uh, verse right here is the only time in the Bible that Jesus Christ used the words happy. This is the only place. Now, look again. It says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now the word the, uh, ye there is plural. And Jesus was talking to all of his disciples and he was telling all of his disciples, if ye, all of you, know these things, and if all of you will do these things, you're going to be happy. And that doesn't just apply to the disciples, that applies to every one of us today. There are some things that the Lord wants us to know. And he says, if you know them and then you do them, I am guaranteeing you true happiness. And so the Lord wants all of us to be happy, but not happy in the way you think, not happiness in the way that the world is happy, because the world offers a false and fleeting form of happiness. So we're going to take a look and look a little deeper here in this. Now go back in your chapter to verse number 5. Now notice what happens here. He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. And after that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So here is the picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ is, is doing with the disciples. 
Now you might be sitting there and saying, oh, I know where this is going. I see the way to true happiness is we got to start washing each other's feet. We're going to have to go out and buy a bunch of basins with water and get a bunch of washcloths and towels. And we're going to start having foot washing around here. Sorry, that's not going to happen. Amen. Amen. Uh, trust me, that's a good thing not to happen. If you could see my feet, uh, you would be so repulsed you'd never come back. Someday I'll tell you the story about the forklift that ran over my big toe and what it looks like. But that's a story for another day. And that does not apply to what we're talking about this morning. Now, there are churches that do practice uh, foot washing. As a matter of fact, on the Tuesday of Holy Week, that's the week that precedes Easter, the Catholic Church encourages, and in some of their churches, they actually practice feet washing. Now, I do have a question for you about that. When is the Catholic Church our example of doctrine? I don't think so. But Jesus did say, look in verse number 15, he says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, he did say that this is an example. Now, I want to point out something important. When the Lord washed the disciples' feet, and then he says, I've given you an example, he was giving them an example, but it was not an ordinance, and it was not a sacrament. We'll talk more about that tonight. There are only two ordinances in the church. One is believer's baptism, and the other ordinance is the Lord's Supper. And we'll be having one of those ordinances tonight. But foot washing is not an ordinance in the Bible, even though there are churches that practice that, especially the Catholic Church. Now, this story that we're looking at this morning is not just about washing feet. This story has a deeper meaning. And what I want to do this morning for a couple minutes is I want to show you four things that we can learn from this story this morning that will bring us true happiness as we go into a new year, as our church goes into a new era. So I want you to go back and look at verse number three. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and we read this before, he poureth water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now hold your place here and go to Philippians chapter 2. Because I want you to see something here. In this demonstration that the Lord provided, this story that we've been provided, and the demonstration that the Lord did with his disciples, we're going to learn some very great theological truths. And these truths that we're going to look at are demonstrated in this uh, Example that the Lord Jesus did. Now look at Philippians chapter 2. Look down at verse number 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now keep that in mind as you go back to John chapter Number 13. Now here is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's waiting on and he's ministering to sinners as one of them. That's important to realize. Here is the Lord 
preparing in just a few hours to receive the wages of sin as a sinner, although he was sinless. That's what would happen in less than six hours from the reading here. See, here's what happened. The Lord Jesus Christ lined himself up with the transgressors when he allowed John to baptize him in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. But by doing that, he was aligning himself up with sinners. You know, it's an amazing thing what God Almighty did for us when he did that. God became like one of the creatures that he created. And he did that so he could sympathize with us and all the things that we go through. So that, so that he would know the things that we have to put up with. So that he would know the death that his creatures die. Blood running out. Heart stopping. Lungs ceasing to breathe. And then a corpse going into a tomb. Oh happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for you. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus put himself into the place of a sinful man so that he could take the punishment of the cross of Calvary for us. John 13 verse 5 says, After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Just like the sinner who had anointed his feet the chapter before. Go back to John chapter 12 and look at verse number 3. We know this story. This just happened. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, you know that when that event happened, there were people in that room that said, I can't believe that he would allow a sinner, a woman like that, to wash his feet and anoint his feet. And what a waste that was. And there was a sinner down there anointing the feet of Jesus. And then one chapter later, we see Jesus doing the same thing, washing the feet of his disciples. So I want you to understand that Jesus became a man. The Bible tells us in the verse that we just read there in Philippians, Jesus became a man. And Jesus took the sins of the whole world on himself. And the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, was Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. He died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. So there's unspeakable joy and there's unspeakable happiness knowing that you have been born again. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Then you're born again. When you made the decision to trust Christ as your Savior, everything changed. The Bible says that you became a new creature. Old things were passed away. All things are become new. Does that bring you a measure of happiness? Does that bring you a measure of joy? You ought to wake up every single morning and say, Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you that, that you're with me to lead me and guide me as I go down the path. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the way that you've changed my life. That ought to bring you joy and happiness every morning that you wake up. Can you imagine facing the troubles of this world without the help of the Lord? Can you imagine what it's like to go through the heartaches and the trials and the sufferings all by yourself? And yet here we have the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to give you some joy and happiness. Now if you're in this room this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you have no idea what true happiness is. You're sitting there in a lonely, dreary hopeless world 
those of us that are Christians that have trusted Christ as our Savior, we still have the trials and troubles of life, but we can smile through them. Because rejoicing is the outward expression of an inward condition. Amen? We can be happy. All right. That's the first thing. Now, number two. I want you to look down at verse number five. Wow, you've already read that verse before. Well, we're going to read it again. Sometimes repetition is a good thing. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this is where all the commentators come and stay, and then they leave, because it's a, it's a very obvious thing what Jesus Christ is doing here. He's giving us an example of how we should humble ourselves and serve one another. That's the second thing that I want you to see. You know, we live in a very, very selfish world. We live in a world where it's all about me. What is it that makes me happy? What are the things that I can do for me? And, and I have to do this for myself. I, I was talking to one lady. She said, oh, I've been serving others and I've been doing all this. And I finally got to the point where I need to do something for myself. And that's the attitude that most of the world has. I'm, I have to do what makes me happy. I'm sorry if you're having a hard time, but I have to take care of myself first. And, and, and Christians, that is not our outlook on life. Let me give you a couple verses here. You don't have to turn there. I want you to listen to this. This is found in Philippians chapter 2. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See, as a Christian, we don't just live our life for ourselves. We live our life for others. We live a life reaching out to others and ministering to the needs of other people. Here's another verse. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's in the Bible. Our job isn't to find out what I can do to make me happy. My job is to find out what I can do to help you. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter, or the charity chapter, the, the chapter on love. Love, charity is the most important thing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Now watch this. Seeketh not her own. You see, we're not out to seek what makes us feel good. We're out to seek out what we can do to help somebody else. James 2.8 If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. And so that's what the Lord wants us to do, is do things for others. Have you ever thought about the joy that you receive from serving other people? Um, when's the last time you wrote a little note, or wrote a little postcard, or bought a little card, and you mailed it to somebody in the church that's having a hard time and let them know that I'm praying for you and uh, I want the Lord to bless you. Well, you gotta go buy a stamp and you gotta buy an envelope and a card and I gotta find the pin that's in the bottom of the drawer and I gotta take the time to fill it out and go to the post office and mail it. Good, you're doing something for somebody else. When's the last time you made somebody a delicious angel food cake? <laughs> it's probably one of the greatest things you could ever do is make an angel food cake for somebody else. I'm not saying who, but I'm just saying, when's the last time you did something as an encouragement to somebody else? You know, at some point in time, all of us are suffering. Somebody is suffering. 
It might be your time to be happy and good and everything's wonderful, but somebody else might be suffering in our church. When's the last time you went to one of the seniors in our church, maybe a widow or maybe one of the uh, people that are getting a little bit older and said, is there something I can do to help you at your house? Do you need a light bulb changed? Did you know that sometimes uh, the ladies in our church that are single by themselves, there's a lot of simple things they can't do. They can't do them on their own. They don't have the ability or the know-how to do it. Sometimes they can't reach the light bulb. When's the last time you said, hey, can I go take your car and put some, a change of oil in it? Can I go get you some gas? Can I mow the lawn? Is there anything that you need around the house? All I'm saying is that as a church, it's our responsibility and our obligation to look out and know the needs of others and pray for them and be there for them and encourage them. That's one of the benefits of having a church and being a part of a church. And so when you discover the joy of serving others and you discover what it means to live an unselfish life and doing what God wants you to do and not thinking about yourself and reaching out to others, you're going to find true joy and true happiness. That's lesson number two. Now, Let's read something we didn't read. Go to verse number 6. Verse 6 says, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, Thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter changes his tune and he says, Oh, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Just wash it all. And Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, uh, you are not all clean. Now, he's talking there about Judas, but he says to Peter, he says, yeah, I need to wash your feet. Now, when he came to Peter, this was kind of a challenge. Peter was saying to the Lord, dost thou wash my feet? It was almost a challenge. You know, what Peter was, I think what Peter was saying was, uh, Lord, what are you trying to do? What in the world are you down there? Why are you doing that? Do you think for a minute that I'm going to let you wash my feet? Peter didn't want the Lord doing that. But in verse number seven, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now. Which means this, by the way, as an aside, if you think that foot washing is an ordinance, then you've lost some of your marbles. Now, pay attention. Peter knew exactly what Jesus was doing Right? Now watch, verse 7. What I do thou knowest not now. Jesus knew that Jesus was washing his feet. All the disciples knew that Jesus was washing their feet. The foot washing wasn't the only illustration that he wanted them to understand, but the foot washing had a different and a deeper meaning. He, he's not saying, oh, you don't know what I'm doing. Does it look like I'm washing feet? Well, I'm not really washing feet. You just think I'm washing feet. No, they knew exactly what he was doing. He was washing their feet. But Jesus answered in verse 7, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou... Now, in this case, he's talking to Peter. 
He's not saying ye as in all of you. He's looking at Peter and he's saying to Peter, thou shalt know hereafter. Now, just to let you know that hereafter came about in John chapter 21. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. Now what's going on? He says, you don't understand now, but you're going to understand it later. You see, when Jesus was about to be crucified, his closest, one of his closest inner circle disciples betrayed him. Peter wasn't there for the Lord when the Lord needed him. And Peter uh, denied, he didn't betray, but he denied the Lord. And then the Bible says the Lord looked at him, and Peter knew exactly what he had done. And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. And at that time, Peter lost his discipleship. He says, I've blown it. I've messed up. I've denied the Lord. And he went out. And ultimately, he went back to the old life of being a fisherman. That's what he ended up doing there for a while. Peter needed to get washed again. Not talking about his salvation, but he lost his discipleship. And so he needed to get washed again. Now, when Mark chapter 16 comes about, Jesus makes this statement. Now, now bear with me because I know it sounds a little bit confusing, but I'll get to the point. Jesus said, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Peter denies the Lord. He goes his way. He's lost his discipleship. He says, I've blown it. I can never regain this again. I've done the worst thing that I could possibly do. Jesus dies on the cross, and he's crucified that horrible, horrible ordeal. But the Bible says that Jesus rose again. And he came back in his glorified body, and he appeared to different people on the earth. And then one of the things he said was, he said, you go get the disciples and tell them to meet me. And by the way, you go get Peter and tell him to come too. And Peter knew, wow, the Lord wants me to come back. He wants me to come back. Now Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. So here's the answer to point number three. Even a disciple needs to be cleansed and forgiven after Calvary. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you walk on your feet in this dirty world? Do you have to get up every day? And even though you get in your Bible, and even though you pray, and even though you ask the Lord to guide you and lead you, you still have to get out there in the world. And what happens when you start walking out there on your daily walk in the world? Your feet get dirty. And then you got to come back and you got to say, Lord, today wasn't a very good day. I messed up. I did something that I shouldn't have done, and I did it deliberately, and I know that you're not pleased with that. Lord, please forgive me for what I did. You're out there, and temptation comes, and you succumb to the temptation, and you know you shouldn't have fallen to the temptation, but you fell to the temptation anyway, and you go back home that night, and you say, man, today was a bad day. I started out today reading my Bible, and I started praying, and I was walking with the Lord, and before the day is over, I've already blown it. 
And what do you do? God says, you want to still have some fellowship? Well, you need to get cleaned up a little bit. You need to clean your feet. And so here's an example of having your feet washed, going to the Lord and asking for that forgiveness for the things that you've done and asking the Lord to cleanse you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's a great story in the Old Testament that illustrates that. When Jesus was giving the instructions to Aaron and his sons as they were going into the tabernacle to serve, one of the things that Aaron and his sons had to do before they could serve in the tabernacle was they had to stop by the brazen, uh, the, they had to stop by the altar and they had to wash their feet. Before they could go in, they had to wash their feet, they had to wash their hands. Listen to this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt make a laver of brass, his foot also of brass to wash withal. Thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. Now listen. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister. So God says, you're a priest, and you want to minister to me, but before you come and minister, I want you to wash your feet. He would not allow the priest to go in until their feet were clean. When you got saved, God says he's making us kings and priests. One of these days, we're going to serve the Lord in the millennial kingdom as kings and priests if we've done what the Lord wants us to do. But in your daily walk, you get dirty. In your life out there, you get dirty. Your hands touch things they shouldn't touch. Your feet touch things that they shouldn't touch and go places they shouldn't go and you see things you shouldn't see and you hear things that you shouldn't hear and you do things that you shouldn't do and when you do that you break the fellowship with the Lord and if you want to have that fellowship restored if you want to speak to the Lord face to face you're going to go back and you're going to ask God to forgive you forgive you for what you've done agree with God for what you've done get that right and then you can have that sweet fellowship with the Lord but it's something that needs to happen on a daily basis look it's, it's hard out there. It's hard to live out there and walk in the world. And the Lord wants us to keep our feet clean. Do you know the happiness of daily fellowship with the Lord? You know, Moses made a big mistake. Moses, the first time, smote the rock and the water came out. But the second time he said, don't smite the rock, speak to the rock. And Moses messed up, and he smote the rock again. And what happened? God said, Moses, you messed up the picture. Now you don't get to go into the promised land. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't get to go to heaven. What it means is this. Once the rock has been smitten for our sins, now all we have to do is speak to the rock. But do you want to be able to get blessings from the rock and speak to the rock? Then you need to go and get alone someplace with God, and you need to ask God to forgive you for that thing that you've done, ask the Lord to help you not to do it again, and then you can have that sweet fellowship with the Lord that you used to have before. And so you can know the happiness of daily fellowship with the Lord. You can speak to Him, you can walk with Him, because you've asked Him to forgive you for your sins and your mistakes that you've committed as you walk daily through this wicked world. So lesson number three, 
there's the happiness of knowing that daily fellowship with the Lord. Now, last lesson. Go to verse number 12. John chapter 13, verse number 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? They didn't really understand. Well, they knew that he washed his feet, but there was something else. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, being your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now, the example of washing feet was not just that they should serve one another, which they should. And it wasn't just an example of humbling themselves, which they should. But all the Bible commentators and everybody that get to this point, they, risk, they, they miss the real example of what's being taught here. And it's an example. And here's the lesson. We, when he said we should wash one another's feet, we as the child of God, we as Christians, as Bible believers, are to minister to the, the word to our brothers and sisters in Christ to help them stay clean. You see, as you get in the word and as you learn things from the word, God's going to give you an opportunity to take the things that you've been learning from him, the things you learn in church, the things you learn in Sunday school, the things you learn in your daily walk, and you're going to have the opportunity to minister the word to other people who God sends by you. Sometimes as an you have an opportunity as a child of God to minister to other people that are in the body. Amen. And that's our obligation. Now, it's the word of God that makes us clean. Now listen to this, Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. He's not talking about uh, invite your, your sister over to the house so you can take out a bowl of water and wash your feet. They did need to wash feet back then because they had dusty, dirty roads and they walked in sandals. It's not that way today. Psalm chapter 119, verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How does the young man get right? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. It's the word that washes us. That's why this is Bible month. That's why I'm emphasizing over and over again that you need to get in the book and stay in the book. And ask the Lord to show you things from the book so that he can lead you and guide you. It's the word that washes us. It's that daily reading that keeps you clean. Well, I, I, I read the Bible, but uh, I don't get anything out of it. I, it. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't matter. Read it anyway. It's like washing out the... Uh, the, uh, what is the little filter, the little, uh, what do you call that, the strainer? The, the strainer may not hold all the water, but at least it gets it clean. The idea here is that you read it anyway, and you ask the Lord to show you the thing that he wants you to know for that day, and he'll show you if you have the right kind of heart and you have a willingness to see what the Lord wants. As you read and as you learn and as you grow, God gives you things from the word that will help you to help others. To help your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible calls that edifying. Amen. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We want to edify one another. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The songs that you sing out of the Bible, the hymns that you sing, those are spiritual. And you can even minister to other people. You get up here and you sing, and you're singing the word of God as a blessing. You're not doing a performance. What you're doing is you're doing something to minister the word of God. Your heart can be touched just by what happens up here. When our young people practice and they sing and they, they get up here, we're not judging them. This is not America's got talent and, and all that. We're not going to push five stars on their performance because it's not about the quality of their singing or if they forget a word. It's the fact that they're up here ministering to us through the word of God. Amen. When that piano is being played at the offertory, there's a young person that's given his life to learn to play the piano so that he can use the talent for the Lord. And as he plays that music, it ministers to us and it helps us. Sometimes we associate the words that we know with the hymn and it does something for our heart. When you get up here and God has given you the opportunity for special music, you're doing that to minister for the Lord, to give glory to the Lord, but you're also doing that to teach and admonishing one, and admonishing one another through the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, Wherefore, comfort one another with what? These words. Um, we know that uh, Brother Andrus, Brother Andrus lost his son to COVID not too long ago. Funeral's coming up uh, this Saturday. I went to see Brother Andrus this week. And uh, what a great man. What a great man of God. He, he is taught here in the Bible Institute. We have great respect and love for him. He's had a Bible believing church for years, and uh, he loves the Lord. He's going through a really hard time right now. He lost his son. It's not like losing anything else. It's not like losing a spouse or a parent or, or even a sibling. It's losing something that's unnatural. Uh, your children are not, not supposed to die before you do. They're supposed to keep on living. And he said, I went to God and I prayed and I asked God to spare his life and I begged God, but God chose not to do it. And he says, I gotta tell you, it really hurts. It hurts down deep inside. And I sat there and I said, Brother, I, I don't have any words. I can't, I don't know how to help you. There's nothing I can say to give you comfort. He goes, you can't. He said, people have said nice things to me. People have offered to do many wonderful things. And he says, I greatly appreciate it. But he says, there's something inside that hurts. The only thing that, that we can do to give any help at all is to encourage him through the word of God and pray for him. And the Lord will someday help him. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. Now listen, let's summarize all of this. In just a few hours, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to the cross. Not only would he be dying for the sins of all mankind, but his disciples would no longer be serving with him and walking with him and ministering with him. They would see him again in his resurrected body, but they would no longer be ministering with him personally on the earth. Their life was going to change. The one that they had followed and the one that had guided them was gone. He was going to be leaving. And now their world was turned upside down. And the Lord said, 
you want to be happy, then I'm going to give you some vital lessons. Learning these things and doing these things is what's going to bring you true happiness. It's putting your eyes on a different place. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you a personal illustration, but it's going to have a significant spiritual importance. If you know these things, happy are ye. Four things. Now listen. Do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? If you're in this room today, you can rejoice and you can be happy because I am saved. I'm not saved by any other thing but by the word of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It, it doesn't matter who showed me how to be saved, which is a great thing. What matters is I got saved by the word of God. If you are not born again, you can know the knowledge that brings you true happiness. If you're in this room and you have a doubt, you do not know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You do not know for sure that you're a child of God. You do not know for sure you're saved. You are making a mistake if you leave this room and you don't get that settled. You are taking your life in your own hands and you will never know the joy and the happiness it means to be saved and born again. You're going to go out there and you're going to look out there and all the things that you're going to try and all the things that you have in your life and all of your hobbies and all of your uh, all of the things that you like to do are are just meaningless and wasted unless Jesus Christ is is your savior. Number two, do you know the joy of serving others? An unselfish life of service brings great joy and happiness. There's nothing you can do better than to serve the Lord. And I'm telling you, you can get more joy out of coming in here and cleaning the toilets than you can do anything out there because you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for the praise of man. You can clean the sidewalk. You can clean the dishes. You can go out and hand out a tract. You can minister to other people. There's more joy and happiness in doing those kind of things than anything you're going to find out there. Amen. January 1st, the watch night service midnight came and and as I walked outside, fireworks were going off all over the place. I could smell the smoke. I could see the, the fireworks. And I said, man, this is really cool. But after a few minutes, it stopped. The joy was over. It was just a big boom, and then it was all gone. That's the way the world is. It's like fireworks. It goes up, and it looks pretty, and it makes you excited. But after a while, you hear the crackling, and it goes away. Number three, do you know the happiness of daily fellowship with the Lord? Are you out of sorts with God? You're not able to go to the Lord and get a prayer answered. You're not able to fellowship with the Lord because you're, you're holding on to a sin. You're holding on to something that you think is making you happy and it's not. You're hanging on to something that is meaningless. Go to the Lord. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to take that out of your life. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to see true joy and true happiness because you're going to be able to have a daily walk. And finally... Do you know the happiness of being able to help your brothers and sisters stay clean through the word, through the ministry of the word? The next time you hear the greeting, Happy New Year, understand that happiness doesn't come because somebody wishes you happiness. Happy New Year. That's nice, but that doesn't do a thing. Understand that true happiness does not come from the pleasures of this world. True happiness is found in knowing that you're saved, in knowing that your sins are forgiven, 
in knowing that you can have a personal walk with the creator of this universe and in sharing the things that you've learned with other brothers and sisters in Christ and telling the world about the, about the Lord Jesus Christ.